Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is SportsCenter at 6. The future in sight for two prize big leaguers. Why Otani chose the Angels and where Stanton will call home. As the Road Warriors hit Detroit, how Draymond is feeling, and why Steve Kerr hit the casino. Why history says LeBron and the Cavs will break the franchise record for consecutive wins. Stop doing that. Stop talking to people up. Snoop big dogs in the, around the NFL. In the NFL, big dogs are barking. Why the Jags are not afraid of the Seahawks. And Wentz versus God. Teddy Bruschi, who you got? I saw that man don't know nothing about choking. And now, Michael Smith and Jamel Hill. We've got a report from the Steelers. Reaction to Saints Falcons and rinse and repeat for the Browns, but it's winter. It's snowing in the South, so naturally we begin with baseball, right? As you no doubt have heard by now, the Angels have pulled off the acquisition heard round baseball this morning. Shohei Otani, the 23-year-old Japanese right-hander with a 100-mile-per-hour fastball and devastating left-handed swing, agreed to terms with the Los Angeles Angels, who won the Shohei sweepstakes over the Cubs, Rangers, Dodgers, Giants, Padres, and Mariners. The Angels acquired him using their $2.3 million international pool bonus money. He would have likely signed a deal in excess of nine figures, had he waited until his 25th birthday when he could have become an unencumbered free agent, but he was ready to break into the bigs. Now, forget breaking the bank. The Angels today released that statement saying they're honored that Shohei Otani has decided to join the Angels organization, and so on and so forth. All right, now let's give you a little background here. Shohei Otani is just 23 years old, but spent the last five seasons in the top league in Japan with the bat over the last two seasons. He's batted over 320 with 30 homers, 98 RBI, and in his career as a pitcher there, he's notched a 2.52 ERA. That's over a course of 543 innings. Oh my goodness. Tim Kirchin, so break it down for us. Why the Angels? Well, that's a good question. It just seems, according to his agent and to him, he had a connection with the Angels, and I think it had something to do with Billy Epler, the GM there, who's been following Otani for years. But all the teams that I talked to about Otani, not one of those teams could really tell me exactly what he was looking for, which is why it was a bit of a surprise that he went to the Angels. Most people had him going someplace else. But the bottom line is this. This guy has a chance right away to be at the top of the rotation for the Angels. He could be their best pitcher. Who knows? And he's got a chance to play and and swing the bat once in a while. Now, that's going to be really tricky to do as a two-way player. But this was a huge move for the Angels, a cheap move for the Angels. And now, with Mike Trout on that team and the fascinating Otani on their team, they have a chance to be a real playoff team this year. And they haven't been able to say that too many times in recent years. In fact, the Angels went from 50-1 to to 30-1 to to win the World Series. Tim Kirchner, we appreciate it. All right, so Otani, uh, you know, he can pitch and hit pretty well. Uh, both areas compare well with other Japanese stars at this stage. 
in the MPB uh, through their age 22 season. Otani's ERA is slightly below what you Darvish had, but has a better strikeout rate. And with the bat, he's been very similar to Hideki Matsui, who played 10 years in the bigs and was a two-time All-Star. Now, of course, we knew at some point the high stove season would involve reigning MVP, John Carlos Stanton, but now we have some idea where Stanton, who has a no-trade clause, wants to go. The four teams on Stanton's reported wish list would certainly make you go, you don't say, Sherlock, Cubs, Dodgers, Astros, and yes, the Yankees. Hey, while we're out here wishing for things, I like an outcast reunion album. Anyway, the possibility of Stanton going to the Yankees has driven their fans and city into a frenzy. The question is, are Yankees fans getting their mouths all ready for some hash? And they ain't got no hash. I'm sure you get that reference, Tim. But in all seriousness, should Yankee fans even allow themselves to get excited about the possibility of landing Stanton? Well, they can get excited, but this is a very complicated situation. Number one, because Stanton has a no trade, which he's already used to say, I'm not going to the Cardinals. It appears he's got some interest in going to the Yankees, but keep a couple things in mind here. An enormous amount of money is mixed up here with Stanton. It's going to take, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars of his salary to acquire him, basically. And the Yankees are looking to stay under the luxury tax, which would be very hard to do if they go pick up that kind of money. Plus, it's going to take three really good young players to get Stanton away from the Marlins. And the Yankees are in the business, at least in recent years, of hanging on to their best prospects. So is it possible he ends up with the Yankees? Yes, it's possible. But I think it's more likely that they look at this scenario and say that is an awful lot to give up even for a really, really good player. Yeah, and lest we forget, John Carlos Stanton has no motivation whatsoever to do anything. He seems to have all the leverage in this. Thank you, Tim. We appreciate you joining us. Warriors missed not only Steph, but also Draymond Wednesday night in Charlotte, but didn't miss a beat, thanks to KD. But you knew Draymond was not going to miss tonight's game in the D. Officially listed as probable with right shoulder soreness. Andre Iguodala also probable with a sore left knee. Now, Doris Burke is in the D tonight. Uh, Doris, so give us the latest on Draymond. As Mike said, he's in Detroit, which, you know, is a couple hours from his hometown. Surely he's playing tonight. What have you heard? You know he's playing tonight. There's no question, Jamel. In fact, really, it was an abundance of caution that kept him out of Wednesday's game at Charlotte, to be honest with you. He probably could have gone, but more so than any other year in Steve Kerr's tenure, he's taken the pop approach. He's just, everything is geared toward everyone being help, uh, healthy come April. All right, now, KD, he had 35, 11, and 10 assists in the Warriors' win over the Hornets on Wednesday. Uh, what are you seeing out of him when there's no Steph Curry on the floor? A little bit of an extra bounce to that step, right, Jamel, knowing that perhaps he's going to get some more touches on the offensive end of the floor. That's exactly the way it played. He was plus 30 in terms of touches. And they put the ball in his hands a ton and let him be a playmaker, a decision maker. We know he's an elite scorer. He is fascinating this year in that he's exploring every aspect of his game outside of scoring. He was dynamic. But I'll say this, it's a little bit different matchup against Detroit, who likes to put a ton of pressure on the basketball because individually they don't have tremendous size. So I think tonight you might see a little bit more handling from Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala before the night's out because it's a different matchup. That was good stuff, Doris, but I don't think we didn't need our dictionary just now. Once again, Doris, we rely on you for this word of the week. You give us nothing. I didn't didn't hear a $2 word. (laughs) 
Appreciate you. We'll see from you later. Uh, been quite a week in Pittsburgh coming off that brutal game with the Bengals and what with the status of Ryan Shazier's spinal injury and to a lesser extent the suspension of Juju Smith-Schuster, leaving several Steelers, notably safety Mike Mitchell, frustrated with the league's approach to policing player safety. Well, hide your kids, hide your wife. Not as nasty as the Bengals. Steelers-Ravens also no place for beginners or sensitive hearts. Oh, man. And I think it's going to be hard, you know. We lost Ryan. Ryan's a great guy. And we just got to control those, you know what I mean? It's about to be the first time we played without him in a minute. It's going to be difficult, but, I mean, we have to do it. I mean, it's a big game. Those are the type of guys we got in this locker room, uh, guys who uh, experienced a lot, uh, guys who've been through a lot, and guys who just got the attitude uh, to be resilient, you know, never panic and uh, push for it and try to get things done regardless of circumstance. All right, Jeremy Fowler, he is at the team facility. Now, the Steelers, they have the Ravens this Sunday night. Does it help Pittsburgh's focus to play in a rivalry game with everything that's happened this week? Well, Jamel, the Steelers are trying to find some semblance of normalcy during what's been a trying week. They want nothing more than for Ryan Shazier to be with them in their locker room. But the presence of Baltimore does help. They can clinch the AFC North with a win. And as guard Ramon Foster told me, it's Ravens, it's Steelers, it's primetime. Nothing more needs to be said. But as for Shazier's injury, players are coping with it in different ways. And for linebacker Vince Williams, that means actually putting on Shazier's number 50 jersey out of his locker and wearing it all week. And I asked Williams about that. He said he simply saw the jersey sitting over there in Shazier's spot, so he took it. And really, there's some aiming for familiarity here because Williams is expected to call the defense out of his headset that used to be or is Shazier's job. And so he's trying to give a nod to his friend and teammate. But as you heard him, it's going to be difficult to control emotions. Don't be surprised, though, if the Steelers have some sort of player tribute for Shazier, either pregame or during the game somehow. All right, Jeremy Fowler, we appreciate it. Taking nothing away, just offering perspective. Cavs have been feasting on mostly bottom feeders. The 14 and 11 Pacers, though, are the third team currently over 500 that the Cavs will have faced since the start of their 13-game win streak, which Cleveland looks to extend to a franchise record 14 tonight. Their opponents have won below 30% of their games. Meanwhile, Derek Rose back. We got a bone spur. I didn't tell anybody, but um, I was just trying to process that, all that myself. How close were you to retiring? I only want to get into all that, um, but I'm here. You know, I'm here. Like I said, with my teammates and everybody, that was one of the reasons why I came back. I have to be rude. I don't care about no, oh, no money. Like, it's not about, I saved up enough money. It's not about that. Like, if I wanted to leave, I would have left. All right, Dave McMiniman joins us live from Indianapolis. Shout out to St. Elmo Steakhouse. <laughs> Dave, the Cavs have been incredibly patient with Derrick Rose, more patient than a lot of teams would have been. But from what you've gathered, are they expecting to get anything at all from him this season? Oh, Jamel, certainly they are. They're hopeful that he can get through this rehab process, be back in the hands of the Cavs' excellent medical staff. And they work towards him getting healthy. And then once he's healthy, they can work towards finding a role for him back in the lineup. Obviously, they haven't stopped without him. They won 13 in a row. And Jose Calderon has stepped up. And when... Whenever Derrick Rose does come back, you might have to contend with Isaiah Thomas in the lineup, perhaps Iman Shumpert. Uh, but they do believe that he can be a guy that can win them a quarter in a crucial game, win them perhaps a half in a crucial playoff game, and that's why they welcome him back with open arms. Now, Rose mentioned that bone spur in his left ankle at shoot around the day. 
I want to be clear here. I spoke to multiple sources with knowledge of Rose's condition. The bone spur existed before he got to the Cavs. It was just aggravated. We ended up with that left ankle injury. Now, uh, people around the team believe that this is going to be more of a pain tolerance issue for Rose than necessarily something that leads to surgery. So if Rose can get his mind right, get his body right, there will be a role for him when he gets to that point. Just we'll, we'll see what it is if the Cavs have the rest of their roster healthy. So Indianapolis holds some history for LeBron James. Can you elaborate? What's that mean for tonight? Yeah, Michael, you think back, there was a closeout game potentially for the Miami Heat to make it to the NBA Finals. Game 6, the 2013 Eastern Conference Finals, they lost in this building. The next year, Game 5, Eastern Conference Finals. If the Heat win, they go to the NBA Finals, they lost in this building. Had to go back to Miami again to win. LeBron exercised some of those demons last year in Game 3 of the first round against the Pacers in Banker's life. Cavs were down 25 points at one point. LeBron James put on a masterful performance for his 17th career postseason triple-double. Ended up with 41 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists. Cavs won that game. They went on to sweep the Indiana Pacers in the first round and get back ultimately to the NBA Finals, losing to the Warriors. So certainly some history here. Uh, the Pacers would like to be the team that put some disappointment in LeBron James's uh, timeline, the way they did back in 2013 and 2014. All right, Dave, we appreciate it. And tell IT thanks for providing the background activity. <laughs> uh, before he left the Chiefs, he did his part to leave Kansas City with the QB of the future and Patrick Mahomes. That's job one for John Dorsey in his new job, ending the seemingly endless cycle of 28 starting QBs for the Browns since 99, and in the process, likely stopping the revolving door of GMs and head coaches. Dorsey says he liked Deshaun Kaiser coming out of Notre Dame. In case you missed it, here's more of what the Browns' brain trust said today. The Cleveland Browns are not going to be successful until we get a quarterback. And um, we obviously have Deshaun. We have two other quarterbacks on the roster. We're going to look at free agency, and we're going to look at the draft. We're going to do whatever it takes to find the quarterback we need to be successful. That will be John's number one priority. I think Sasha did a nice job of, of creating some draft picks and creating some uh, uh, cap space there. Um, but I'm excited. I think this, to me, this is an opportunity that not many personnel guys in my position would pass up. Joe Thomas taking up for his team. And to those who question why anybody would take the Browns job, well, for one, Dorsey was unemployed. Uh, but there's also a hell of a lot of draft picks in cap space. So Joe Thomas, great Twitter follower, also Hall of Fame left tackle. That'll be awesome on the back of their jersey. Cap space and draft picks. I doubt if anybody gets Mike Trout, who is getting married this weekend, a better wedding present than the Angels' gift of Shohei Otani, the right-handed pitcher with the sweet left-handed swing, who signed with the team today. The signing of Otani is so huge that the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook, uh, there the Angels went from having 50-1 to odds to win the World Series to 30-1. to Vegas clearly loves Otani. Here's more on why so many baseball fans do, too. Shohei Atani, known as the Japanese Babe Ruth. He's going to be a difference maker. He's coming to America to play baseball in 2018. As Shohei Otani moves from Japan to Major League Baseball, the 23-year-old will be the world's most discussed baseball player in the year ahead. Otani pitches with the fastball velocity of Noah Syndergaard and a breaking ball that bends like that of Yu Darvish. He is an elite hitter with a powerful left-handed swing 
often used to drive the ball to left center field. In 2016, Otani posted an OPS of over 1,000 in Japan with 22 homers and 382 plate appearances. Oh, by the way, he has been timed running to first base at 3.9 seconds. Mike Trout territory. Because of Otani's incredible array of skills, he is often referred to as the Babe Ruth of Japan. But even Ruth didn't do over an extended period what Otani wants to do, serve as both a pitcher and a hitter regularly in the major leagues. There is just a huge amount of intrigue and fascination. By moving to the majors now, rather than waiting two years, Otani is bypassing the chance to be a free agent after the 2019 season, when some general managers predict he would get anywhere from $200 million to $300 million in the open market. Instead, he'll play the next two years for a modest signing bonus and a salary close to minimum wage for setting himself up for a big payday. And now the Angels will work with him to do what has been considered all but impossible, to be an impact hitter and pitcher at the same time. Angels are hoping Otani can help with his arm and his bat. L.A. starting rotation ranked in the middle of the pack in 2017 in terms of ERA and whip. But their offense was near the bottom of the league in batting average, slugging percentage, and runs per game. Maybe he can help negate the trade Mike Trout conversations that happen every year. It's going down in the D tonight. I wish you were there, huh? <laughs> I do, actually. Warriors Pistons at Little Caesars Arena in fabulous downtown Detroit. The Warriors are a little banged up. No Steph Curry, who is out for a couple weeks with an ankle injury. According to Doris Burt, Draymond Green will play tonight. Uh, although Andre Iguodala also probable with a sore left knee. Tell you who's always 100% and keeps it 100, Chauncey Billups. Now, Chauncey, it's so unfair that Man. the Warriors, what's going on? And the Warriors can be missing their MVP, suffering from a couple nag- nagging injuries, and still put it on Charlotte the way they did behind KD's triple-double. However, the Pistons, different test. Now, with the Pistons going for the season sweep, Golden State trying to finish this road trip 6-0, and who does this game mean more to tonight? Well, to me, it's, it's pretty simple. The, the game means more to the Detroit Pistons. I mean, if, you, if you're the Warriors, it's a game in December, regular season game. You're really not all that excited about it. The only one thing that you're excited about is this team already beat you on your home floor. But if you're the Pistons, you're trying to prove that you're an elite team in the Eastern Conference and that you want to be a contender and not just a first-round opponent for, for a number one seed in the East. You want to contend for it all. So this is a big game. It's the first time in the city. For the Warriors, obviously, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think my guys are going to be ready. All right, Chauncey, you just mentioned first time in the city for the Warriors. Now, you know, having played there, uh, how protective us Detroiters are about the city. So you can imagine listen, how most of us reacted when Steve Kerr said. Hey, listen, I feel you. I'm not from Detroit, but, but I, that's my second us. home. You one of us. But I am why. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, regardless, you can imagine how Steve Kerr, uh, how we felt about the comments he made about staying at the MGM Casino in downtown Detroit. He called it a, quote, soul-sucking experience. Man, we've got to get home. That's what he said. And then today at Shootaround, he doubled down on the MGM Casino Detroit slander. Take a listen. Just staring at that slot, sick dangling. Hours and hours. It's, it's, it's like so, soul enriching. I just feel like, like I was gonna say a million bucks. It's more like 
65. I feel like $65. <laughs> See, I'm picking up on that sarcasm, Steve. I love you, but I feel like, as I tweeted, we just had our first fight. Are you serious? It's so many options in downtown Detroit. And my girl, Anita Baker, Detroit's finest, she came in with a little backup. And she, she reminded everybody, yeah. Still. The MGM. Look you. at all the stuff that, that they had. Now, Chauncey, what you got to say to that? Why is Steve Kerr? Hey, come on. He's not endearing himself to Detroit by coming in there and slandering the city. We on the comeback. Oh, man, come on. First of all, I love Steve Kerr, but Coach, I got news for you. The city of Detroit and Oakland are very similar cities, and I'm sure you probably live in San Francisco, but your team represents Oakland. And talking about hardworking, blue-collar people that got a lot of pride. You got to feel that got to be familiar to you. And I got news for you too, Coach. Those guys in the casino, even though y'all was probably staying in Birmingham the last however many years. Yep, that's correct. They the, were going. The Townsend. They, they were go, they were going to the city anyway to go to the casino and have a good time. And downtown Detroit is booming. It's a new city down there, so. Come up, come out your room, man, and just go enjoy the city a little bit, Coach. Yeah, go hang out at Sweetwater Tavern, my favorite place down there. Anyway, we'll move on to regular NBA business now. The Thunder played the Nets in a different country, and nothing changed. OKC dropped its eighth game this season. We're leading by double digits, tied with the Mavs for most in the NBA. This time coming up short to the shorthanded Nets. OKC didn't have Paul George, and while Russ went for 31-8-6, Melo shot 5-20. I think it's just for me, it's... This is the rough, rough stretch for my, myself personally. Uh, probably the roughest that I've had throughout my career, but uh, I mean, it's, it's something that you, know, you got to continue going for. You got to continue, you know, working at it. This when you think they turn the corner, Chauncey. What's the solution to OKC's late game struggles? Well, I mean, to me, in that position, I think Melo, um, who's who, obviously got 20 shots. He's getting his shots, but I think if this team is going to turn the corner. Russell has to be Russell, and Paul George needs to be featured. Melo needs to be the third option. He could be the third, the best third option in the league if he wants to. But even with that, like I said, he's still going to get his shots. But he can't be so concerned with if he's scoring the basketball. Be concerned with trying to win, trying to do intangible things, things that third options or guys that are just a piece on the team should be concerned with. Melo's still a very good scorer. He can still get going. But that should not be his main concern on this team. And if it is, there's going to be trouble the whole way through. All right. Thank you, Chauncey. We appreciate you joining us. And, of course, Detroit is hey, always appreciate the hey, love you show. Hey, Jamel. Hey, yeah. hey, Jamel, I just want you to know you're missing out. Amina and the crew and myself, we all going to the cork tonight. You We're going to miss you. Amina put you up to that. I know she did. She knows I'm jealous. One of my other favorite places. All right. Y'all enjoy yourself. According to Elias, Sunday's Eagles-Rams game will be just the second matchup since the 1970 merger between two teams averaging at least 30 points this late in the season. And in their second seasons, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz have produced... That guitar is going hard, huh? Uh, and Carson Wentz have produced the second and third largest increases, respectively, in terms of total QBR over last year behind Case Keenum. Wentz bringing a league-high 29 touchdown passes into their matchup, while Goff is second in yards per completion, thanks in part to Rams receivers leading the league and yak per reception. Teddy Bruschi, who would you rather have, Goff or Wentz? Ooh, right now, I'm going to go with Wentz right now. I think they're both great quarterbacks. Both of these guys are getting it done for their teams, but Wentz has a little bit extra in terms of creating on his own. I think Goff is more of a 
pocket passer. Look at just what Wentz is doing here. You don't see Goff doing this. So you get off schedule, Goff gets a little pressure. He doesn't have what Carson has in terms of still getting the, the ball released down the field or scrambling to extend the play and get a first down with his feet. So right now it's Wentz. But I'm telling you, both of these guys, they throw a good deep ball, all right? They're leading their teams, but they're getting into this area where this December, these December games, they're more than regular season games now. You're talking about playoff seeding, division championships. We'll see what both of them have this weekend. Does it bother you at all, Teddy, uh, knowing that, you know, it's, it's been reported that Sean McVay, he's the one calling the audibles for Jerry Goff and that, it it's seems like people are yes, insinuating no. it's a little too much hold, hand-holding when you look at the difference between him and, hey. and uh, yeah. Wentz. Because Wentz is at the line of scrimmage, and Wentz is running those RPOs, those run-pass mm-hmm. options. This is a great, great point, Jamel. But I, if you've if you got the time, if you get him up to the line of scrimmage and you feel like your quarterback knows that, go ahead. I'm actually shocked no one has done this before. Maybe what we just didn't hear about it. it Maybe we just didn't hear about it. Right. Or it, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't let this out, but now right. that it's, been, it's written about, it's talked about how Goff is getting the answers to the test in his ear, it can train him to expect the answers and not look and try to learn. But I'm sure McVay is still trying to cultivate him to where he won't need him eventually. But I, I have to trust he's that type of coach. But right now it is very interesting that, you know, as a defense, knowing that he's waiting for that call in his ear mm-hmm. to tell him what to do. Right. <laughs> you could use that as a little fuel. I mean, <laughs> All right. Or, hey, 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 what's he saying? Or as I said, what's he saying? <laughs> well, or as I said, as the Vikings did, they just kind of changed their coverages after they knew that time limit yeah. had expired. Right. Um, You mentioned the creativity of Carson Wentz. Let's talk about another very creative quarterback, Russell Wilson. He takes his MVP campaign on the road as the 8-4 Seahawks take on the top-ranked defense in the 8-4 Jaguars. Now, the Jags, they lead the league in sacks with 45 and are second in the league in interceptions with 16. But don't tell Jalen Ramsey this is a statement game. My God, yeah. Can it be a statement game for you guys? Because of who they are? What's their record? Four, same as yours. Uh, Former Super Bowl chance, perennial playoff contender. All right, we were sorry last year, but we're not this year. We ain't talking about last year. Y'all gotta stop, man. Y'all gotta stop doing that, man. The media, y'all do that too much. Y'all be hyping people up. Y'all hype teams up. Stop doing that, man. Y'all gotta stop doing that. It's a new year. It's a new week. Everything. It's new big dogs in the, in, in around the NFL. Y'all gotta stop doing that. Stop hyping people up. I mean, that's what we do. But anyway, you like that attitude? Uh, I do, but every, every game is a statement game, especially for the Jacksonville Jaguars when everybody looks at them as perennial losers and you've never done anything meaningful. So there it is. That's the way you're viewed. You have a good defense, yes. You're carrying that team, yes, as a defense, Jalen Ramsey. But you need to continue to do it again and again and again. And right now you're, doing, you're playing up against a team that's been doing it for years on the defensive side of the ball. Are they beat up? Yes. But you still got Russell Wilson on the other side. If Seattle goes in there and wins, you are taking a major step down in terms of how people view you because that defense you have in Jacksonville, you should take over this game. You should do enough defensively to come out with a victory if you are legit. Okay. Despite the quarterback? Despite the quarterback, yes. The best dominant defenses, they win in spite of poor offenses. It happens. Ask your quarterback to take care of the ball. Defense and special teams will take care of everything. Just hand it off. We'll be fine. That's the attitude. All right. Well, thanks for joining appreciate us. You, we appreciate sure. it, Teddy. Sure. Right, the Heisman Trophy will be presented tomorrow, so let's review the finalists. Bryce Love, 
Uh, he rushed for nearly 2,000 yards. He will try to join Jim Plunkett as the only Stanford players to win the award. Now, last year's winner, Lamar Jackson, is also a finalist. He will try to join Archie Griffin as the only players to win the Heisman twice. And then there is Baker Mayfield, who was responsible for an FBS leading 46 touchdowns. He'll try to be the sixth Heisman winner in Oklahoma history and the third in the last 15 years. But is Baker Mayfield the next Johnny Manziel? And will the Browns vote again by taking him in the 2018 draft? Check out these scenarios from part four of M3. I have to believe the most polarizing prospect in this draft will be Baker Mayfield. No doubt. Uh, he's number one on any list of polarizing because you're going to have people looking at him saying he could be the number one pick in the draft. Others saying he doesn't do the things necessary to guarantee he can be the CEO of your football team. Let's take him and let somebody else have him. Okay? Let's rate him as the 25th best player knowing that somebody else will get him. So that's polarizing when you have people thinking he could be a great NFL quarterback and some saying... I may well, not want him to be well, my let's guy. Let's break it down into pieces. The crotch grabbing and the flag planting. You like that or you don't like it? I don't like the. Uh, listen, Tom Brady is gonna is very demonstrative on the sideline and says a lot of words that you don't want said around your kids, okay? But he, he knows the level. He knows the line. He's not going to go and, and take it to that next level, and, and Baker Mayfield has. So he has some growing up to do in channeling his, his anger and energy during the games. But the other part of it is some people are going to look and say, man, I love this dude. Because everyone around him loves him, mm-hmm. and they will run through a wall for him. Inside draft rooms, it's going to be this debate of, oh, okay, yeah. we don't like that stuff, but man, this is special. If you're a GM, it, yes, can you trust him? I trust Mayfield a lot more than I think Josh Rosen, even though Rosen is a more polished, mature football player. What's than, the problem with Rosen? Well, Rosen, the big question from everyone I talk to, GMs, area scouts, everyone in the league, does he love the game? Does he need the game? Is he a good leader of men? How does he treat people inside the building? And as, pe- as they're getting fired and, and the UCLA staff is no longer in place, there's more and more information coming out that maybe wouldn't have come out had that staff been intact. And what kind of information? UCLA. Just that, that he wasn't always awesome to everyone in the building and wasn't your classic leader and the guy that you want to follow. And so while the talent level is at a v- it's very high, and I think he's the most polished NFL prospect at the quarterback position in this class, that's going to be a real tough one for NFL teams to disseminate as they go through the process. And he will be polarizing because his talent level, Todd, is through the roof. Right. But another thing to add to it, a concern, would be durability. Two years ago, he had the shoulder, then the concussion, missed time. Can he take hits? Can he stand in there, look down that gun barrel, take a hit, and come back for more? Who else? Lamar Jackson, just because what is he? He's the most explosive college football player the last two years. He wins the Heisman a year ago, and he has better numbers this year. But the thing with him is he doesn't look like an NFL quarterback in terms of his, first of all, his build. It's not the height, it's just he's slightly built, so he's going to last. He's a, he improved as a passer in terms of staying in the pocket and being poised, and his mechanics were a little bit better this year, but he's still not near the level of a Mayfield or a Rosen or, a, you know, Sam Darnold. Let's get off quarterbacks. Who else? Who else is going to keep guys up at night? We talk about who could be the number one pick. Back in August, I'd have thought Arden Key from LSU would have been a guy for pass rusher off the edge. Could have been that guy, and he didn't produce. He had you banged up some. Is he going to be able to get through a season? Is he going to be Barkevious Mingo? Yep. Is he going to be a guy that looks the part, flashes, shows you that ability, but it's not consistent enough? I think Arden Key has seen his stock drop a bit. I'm interested because you know, injured early on, had the personal issues in the offseason, wasn't with the team, comes back. 
starts playing well. He has four and a half sacks in about a five, six game period, and then he gets injured with a broken finger, surgery. If he loves the game and he wants to show people something, he's going to play in that game and he's going to play his tail off. If not, then I think we could find out something about him because he has all the talent in the world. I'm talking premier elite edge rusher, but you just, there's a lot of question marks. Jags play host for the Seahawks Sunday. Fans, you can purchase the Maroney Bologna. Should be the Maroney Bologna. Bologna? You know he's a big Bologna guy, Doug. Yeah, it's Bologna. You just. No, that's what. Okay, whatever. Doug Marone loves Bologna. Bologna. (laughs) Bologna. Okay. Only person I heard say that is, uh, I think it was. Bologna? We've had this conversation before. What? About Bologna versus Bologna. Either way, it's nasty. Just give me ham. Yeah, just give me ham. You didn't eat bologna sandwich. I respect Doug Marone's preference. <laughs> okay. You didn't eat you didn't eat bologna growing up? I did. It had a first name and everything, but <laughs> um so not to obviously belie the seriousness of Alvin Kamara uh, winding up uh, leaving the game with a possible concussion. Right. But obviously there were fantasy playoff implications, especially for you, Mike, because your team was rolling. Kamara's on your team. No, you you hit it. It's it's I felt conflicted because, yeah. you know. And I, I won't lie, when I saw him go it's out, a brain you, were the, injury. you were the first person I thought of. Right. It's right. a brain I, I hope injury. He was okay, of and, and, you know, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we invested in fantasy. We like fantasy. But most important, he, he's tweeted after the game that he's good to go for next week. Obviously, he can't clear himself, but hopefully he gets well soon. More right. from that game. Yeah, definitely. The NFL, they're reviewing uh, this incident here with Coach Sean Payton. Uh, his behavior toward the officiating crew on Thursday night. Uh, but Peyton, he remained steadfast in his criticism today, calling the officiating, quote, extremely poor. Also, when the Saints were up 17 to 10 in the fourth, you see him there making the, ch- the choking gesture at Falcons running back Devontae Freeman. I don't know, but, you know, he don't know me. I don't know him. So, you know, I'm a man. I'm a grown man. But I don't let that get to me. He's just probably a competitor. Competitive coach. He ain't from where I'm from. He don't know about choking. But he just probably he a good competitor. So he probably uh, the the competes probably came out. But you know we don't let that bother me, man. He don't know nothing about choking. Uh, video of you giving a choke sign. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Thank you. <laughs> good answer. Do you know me? Do you know my lady? I mean, Devontae Freedom. I want to say they got uh, 16 days now. before they play again. Yeah. Devontae Freedom tweeted Aints. He deleted it, but he tweeted Aints after this. <laughs> Should have kept it up. But I deleted it. People don't know, or maybe football fans know, but I think a lot of casual fans don't understand how intense that beef is between the Falcons and the Saints. It. I grew up in it. I mean, that, that's some real, real hatred between those two things. But Sean Payton, come on. You do what you do. He, he lost it a little too much. Understand his frustration, but uh, coach got to keep his point. Yeah, Brandon, uh, Brandon Ingram, he scored 21, including the game-winning three with under a second remaining on an assist. I'm guessing Lonzo Ball to beat your Sixers. Yep. I can't believe they're in the show after losing. First of all, now after the game, teammate Jordan Clarkson had this to say about Ingram's game winner. This might be the quote of the year. Uh, that expletive <laughs> was wide open. He better shoot that. Can we say the initials of what to give people an idea which one it was? Okay. Do they know from that? Anyway, if you ain't. And then he made a, a joke at his uh, braids. Called him worms. This young man, Brandon Ingram. 
really maturing before our eyes right now. That was a big shot for him to experience that moment. And a lot of people criticized Lonzo for passing, but it was a smart play. It was the yeah. winning play. Afterward, Embiid and LeVar Ball match. It's a great yeah, night all around, out. except for the Sixers who keep losing the teams they shouldn't. Uh, Jared Bayless went after the loose ball, ended up in the lap of a couple of Sixers fans, and got comfortable. <laughs> Real comfortable. I appreciate that. Yeah. You'll pay for courtside seats. You just get courtside seats. That's the experience attention. kind of you want there, right? Like, if you get courtside seats, especially if you're a kid, like, now you like can, Don't get man. handsy, though. <laughs> like that young man. You're hoping on some level that a loose ball comes your way, yeah. player dives on you. You know, you're kind of hoping for that interaction. It goes syrup sandwiches, sugar sandwiches, bologna sandwiches. Yes, not bologna. And then air sandwiches. Which sandwiches? Who had a good day? Uh, so, Serena Williams. She has the best days, generally speaking, because she's probably been on a good day more than anybody else. Nevertheless, uh, there is a Serena Williams building now on Nike's campus, slated to be completed in 2019. Biggest structure at Nike's world headquarters. So, is that congrats. Congratulations to Serena Williams. Fairfax, Virginia native Simone Askew grew up going to Army-Navy games, dreaming about leading the over 4,000 cadets onto the field before the game. Saturday makes history. Leading the team onto the field prior to Army-Navy games, ceremonial march on, first captain, first African-American woman to hold the highest student position at West Point. We'll see y'all next week.